What? I know. Welcome back. This is the Cat Sounds Podcast with Brian McCauley. I am your host, Brian McCauley. Been another wild week here in the United States of America. Coronavirus reached 100,000 followers. Minneapolis police committed a truly egregious murder of a handcuffed black civilian. And President Trump signed an executive order to address the nation's most pressing problem, standing up to that prick Jack Dorsey. But let's talk about me. In apartment news, uh, you know... I had water problems from May 14th until yesterday, May 27th. Uh, There were times I had no water, but mostly I had no hot water. It led to many a stern talking to from me to the uh, leasing office over here. I can assure you they are not big fans of me after this. Uh, they're, they're probably not listening to the podcast. On the other hand, the maintenance people here, they do a terrific job. I'm always glad to have them stop by, but that leasing office, ugh, I can't wait until their next round of inevitable turnover. Times are tight for everybody though. Right now we are all doing our best. My landlord is a guy named George Argyros. He is the former ambassador to Spain under George W. Bush with a reported net worth of $2.1 billion. But I guess that's like $2.1 billion minus whatever they had to pay this plumber to come in here and perform regime change on my shower fixtures yesterday. There was some heavy jigsawing, but I'll tell you, they do look much better now. You would think this guy was a contractor from Halliburton, uh, which I don't know that he wasn't. So thank you to him, the plumber. Incidentally, he did look a little bit like Super Mario, which is fine. I think all plumbers should. Moving right along here. uh, What's up in politics? Well, the Libertarian Party is experimenting with playing in front of no fans, and luckily it's not a substantial change for them. This week, through a virtual process, they selected a lady named Joe Jorgensen to be their presidential nominee for 2020. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Jorgensen, Libertarian candidate for president. She's apparently a psychology professor at Clemson. She was previously the party's vice presidential candidate in 1996, so she's an old pro who knows how to lose an election. She defeated Vermin Supreme, which is a big disappointment for people who like stunt candidates. Secret dental police kicking down your door at 3 a.m. to make sure you've brushed. If you don't recognize the name, you may know him better as the guy who wears a boot on his head. But what I heard was that this year he had gotten serious enough to take the boot off of his head, at least some of the time. And I've been doing that to, to show the people that I do not always have a boot on my head. So Joe Jorgensen is the Libertarian Party presidential nominee for 2020 and can look forward to getting the vote of all those guys who are 30 years old at a high school party for some reason and trying to talk to a teenage girl about David Hume. My campaign will bring them in from out of the cold. But you never know. You never know. Maybe Joe Jorgensen is going to conquer the electoral landscape, be inaugurated president, summarily dismantle the federal government, and make it legal for 11-year-olds to sell fentanyl without a permit. 
on their wedding day. But that is unlikely. That is an unlikely outcome in the 2020 U.S. presidential election. Uh, If nothing else, at 63, Jorgensen can at least say she's 30 years younger than either Joe Biden or President Trump. And in a bit of irony, Jorgensen hails from a place called Libertyville, Illinois. I guess nobody was running from Freedom Town. Join my team at JOJ2020.com and together we can break free from big government. So we'll be excited to see how things go for Joe Jorgensen. And in uh, other third party news, for everyone waiting with bated breath to find out which Russian Manchurian candidate the Green Party will nominate this year, you will have to wait until July. Their convention is apparently in July. But I'll announce it here on the podcast if I think of it. And I believe I can grab hold of it and shake as much comedy out of it as I just have with this. But that probably is not going to happen. But on a serious note, uh, serious-ish, this this is a very difficult year for uh, third parties, as opposed to normal. Um, The pandemic has made everything a lot more difficult. Uh, These parties get on the ballot by aggressively collecting a lot of signatures, and that is not easy to do with people uh, with a lot of people currently stuck at home. It's, it's much harder for them to accost you out at the entrances of stores when those stores are closed. Uh, but perhaps things will pick up. You know, my personal view is that um, the two major parties have money, resources and uh, large membership. But I don't think it will always be like that. There, uh, There's definitely a divide within the Democratic Party. And should they do extremely well in November, I suspect that divide is going to grow, not shrink. This is because imagine if the Republican Party went out of business tomorrow. Uh, it would not be all sunshine and rainbows for the Democratic Party to the extent Democrats have differences like you saw in the primaries between uh, Bernie and Biden, those differences would become the differences that define the political moment. Likewise, imagine if Trump had not gotten the Republican nomination in 2016, and instead it was Ted Cruz, Lion Ted, or Marco Rubio, Little Marco, Little Marco, or Jeb Bush. How the hell can you vote for this guy? You said in September 30th that ISIS was not a. I, I, am I uh, not talking or are you talking, Jim? I'm you talking right back. now. I'm talking. You can go back. You're not I'm talking. talking. You would have seen a, a definite split between the type of people who supported him and those more mainstream Republicans that seem to more or less have gotten in line now that he is uh, the president. Graham has fallen in line behind President Trump and become the face of Trump's defense on Capitol Hill. It hasn't always been this way. The Graham of today... I have the president's back because I think this is a setup. ...is a far cry from the Graham of just a few years ago. You know how you make America great again? Tell Donald Trump to go to hell. Let's move on. Let's talk about something else. Here locally, things are reopening. My local Old Navy is open again. I saw that today. Uh, we, you know, we're headed into a serious recession at the least because it's it's not a matter of things being reopened. That's just a first step in the process of them surviving at all. 
but a place like Old Navy has obligations. They, like me, have to pay their rent. They have to pay their employees, and that's really just the direct costs associated with the one here in my neighborhood, among others, electricity, insurance, what have you. But margins are tight in retail. So even when an Old Navy reopens, if they're in a situation where, you know, a a few less people shop there, that will affect their bottom line. And it definitely does seem like that's the case. There are people anxious to go out and go shopping again. But there's another group of people who who are going to keep things essential for a while, uh, particularly when you can shop online. I don't like to buy clothes online because, I mean... What are they going to look like when they get here? How are they going to fit me? Hopefully Old Navy can survive with a few less people. But, you know, it's just like a restaurant opening now. When they close off every other table for social distancing, that means every other person who would have been eating there either has to wait a little longer or they're not eating there at all. So I think that no matter what, we are headed into economic tough times. I I see no possibility of a V-shaped economic recovery like you, you might hear some people talk about. V-shaped recovery. Then a V-shaped recovery is actually on the table. And we're looking at a fabulous V-shaped recovery. The economy might bounce back in a pretty impressive way, but it does not bounce back to doing anything like the kind of business you were seeing before COVID-19. That's my prediction. You can hold me to it. But maybe you have a prediction. If so, I want to hear it. I want to hear a prediction. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear what you think about all of this. Please give me a call on the 24-hour Cat Sounds voicemail hotline at 949-484-9724-949-484-9724-9724. The Cat Sounds 24-hour voicemail hotline night or day and you know also you can text the cat sounds hotline you can even text it that number again 949-484-9724 anyway what were we talking about entertainment news showbiz news let's do some showbiz news this week hbo what is it called hbo max has launched that is the new streaming service from HBO and its parent company, AT&T, that is supposed to compete with uh, Disney Plus or Netflix, Quibi, whatever. It's out. HBO Max is now available. This is the new streaming service from Warner Media. It's for HBO Now customers. That is those who subscribe to regular HBO directly through the company. It's a free update. You already get it. I'm in that group. For everyone else, that is those who get HBO through a cable provider or Amazon or the like, maybe you'll get it. Maybe you won't. It's a matter of cable providers wanting to shake HBO down for a little more money. Even though it won't cost you any more money to get the service. Uh, This is Legacy Media. This is how they do things. So how is it? How is HBO Max, now that I get it, and I've had a little taste of it? Well, they've got Friends, your favorite show, Friends, which uh, left Netflix last year after being one of the most streamed shows on there for a long time. 
that's probably the crown jewel for HBO Max right now. If you like Friends, this will really matter to you. I think Friends is okay. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> I used to watch it in the 90s. It, it's fine. I could watch it again. You never know. But I'm not in a rush. They've also got Rick and Morty, which is a hugely popular show right now. From It's on Adult Swim. But they... They haven't got all the episodes. Uh, they haven't got the season four episodes, which have been airing recently, which I, I guess they still expect you to watch on Adult Swim. Adult Swim is another thing owned by Warner Media, So they think you will watch it on like regular linear TV. I think that'll hurt them. I, I, I don't think they're doing stuff like that over at Netflix. I, I think that's going to hurt them. They have a new show called Love Life with Anna Kendrick, who I think is a delight. Um, I'm Augie, by the way. Darby. Furby? Darby. Darby. Yeah, Sorry, I know. Darby. No, I've gotten Furby before. The reviews are mixed, but I, I'm going to check it out. I, I just haven't done it yet. I noticed they also have every episode of The O.C. Now, I was a fan of this show long before I ever lived in the actual O.C., where I live now. It made it seem like it was it was cool to like be a dork, to be a big dork. It, but it was for people who weren't like if you weren't a big dork, but you suddenly thought that you wanted to be, it was for you. And they, you know, like you listen to emo. I don't I don't know what you would even call. You listen to like like neo surf music. Um, yeah, it lasted like three and a half years. I thought it was good. I liked it. This is interesting. HBO Max also has On the Record, which is that controversial documentary about the uh, misconduct allegations against Russell Simmons. It's the one that Oprah pulled out of under pressure from him. And then uh, Apple TV also dropped last year. Was that last year? Was that earlier this year? Whatever. But it's on there. It, it was picked up by HBO Max. You can watch it. And, and I guess draw your own conclusions. But in terms of like original content, there doesn't seem to be much to it other than that. There's something called Craftopia about crafting, I guess. I didn't verify this, but it seems like it must have been developed from like existing YouTube IP. That's what it looked like. It looked like it was for, for people who like YouTube, but you would assume those people are, are, are already watching YouTube. And uh, there, there's a late night show with Elmo called the Not Too Late Show. And now, coming to you from number one, two, three, Sesame Street. Uh, I'll tell you Elmo sounds like a talk show starting up. <laughs> oh, can Elmo be excused to do his talk show, please? Which I'll admit, that's it's pretty cute. It looks it looks pretty cute. Now, what there are, what I will say, they do have an impressive library of movies. They've got like all the Harry Potter movies, if you like that. They've everything from the DC universe, including last year's Joker. Well, let me get this straight. You think that killing those guys is funny? I do. And I'm tired of pretending it's not. Comedy is subjective, Murray. Which I recommend that you watch. It's really good. But there's other interesting stuff. They have like a lot of classic highbrow cinema from the Criterion Collection. They have like the 400 Blows and eight and a half art house stuff, you might say. 
But if that's not your thing, they also have like Hype Williams's Belly. Do you remember that? Starring Nas and DMX. Hey, shut the fuck up, man. Me, my name is Sincere. Me and Bundy, Buns that is, or Tommy for short, we like make it happen. Since kids, we was like Butch and Sundance. That, that really takes me back. Many of us remember that fondly. I mean, not so fondly that, that I might want to watch it again, but I might. You never know. The point is, this is a company with an enormous content reservoir, Warner Media, and it's they're really opening up the kimono here, as they say. In classic shows, they've got lots. The aforementioned Friends, of course, but also South Park. They have like classic Looney Tunes cartoons. And then a lot of garbage that you will not want to watch again, like Fresh Prince. I, I remember Fresh Prince fondly. I don't ever want to watch it again. It, you know, I might want to see that Carlton dance again, but I don't need to put a show on to see that. I can I can look at a gif of it. And then stuff that I've never wanted to watch at all, like The Big Bang Theory. But I know a lot of people like The Big Bang Theory, so they'll be pleased that it's on there. Bazinga or whatever. But there is another thing going on here worth paying attention to. Two years ago, AT&T acquired Warner Media. During the lead-up to that acquisition, AT&T pledged that they would take a hands-off approach to HBO, which was really the prestige brand of the company and which had been substantially profitable. Hasn't really worked out that way. HBO traditionally has been known for its prestigious content, not its bulk, and that seems to be what AT&T wants to change with HBO Max. When the acquisition went down, they had a big town hall meeting with John Stanky, who is, that's really his name, John Stanky, who is now AT&T's CEO. And I guess all the, uh, the HBO employees were expecting to be congratulated for what a great job they were doing. That's not really how it went down. This is what John Stanky said, according to the New York Times. And now, a dramatic reading. By me, as John Stanky, CEO of AT&T. We need hours a day. It's not hours a week, and it's not hours a month. We need hours a day. You are competing with devices that sit in people's hands that capture their attention every 15 minutes. I want more hours of engagement. Why are more hours of engagement important? Because you get more data and information about a customer that then allows you to do things like monetize through alternate models of advertising as well as subscriptions, which I think is very important to play in tomorrow's world. As I step back and think about what's unique about the brand and where it needs to go, there's got to be a little more depth to it. There's got to be more frequent engagement. Also, we've got to make money at the end of the day, right? Now, at that moment, in this meeting, apparently the then head of HBO, Richard Plepler, responded, We do that. There was some scattered applause from uh, the HBO employees present. Mr. Stanky responded, Yes, you do. Just not enough. Within a year, Richard Plepler had left the company. 
He's now a producer working on content for Apple. And the result of all this, presumably, is HBO Max. HBO has been associated for a long time with that highbrow content, you know, The, the Sopranos, Game of Thrones, of The Wire, of Westworld. The question now is whether their prestige status can live through what AT&T is demanding they become. Because the thing is, nobody can make 20 Game of Throneses a year. If you could, Netflix would already be doing it, because they certainly are willing to spend the money. But creative work does not happen that way. Development is a long process, at least, at least it is if you want to make something on the level we're talking about here. So what will we think of HBO in 5 or 10 or 20 years? Only time will tell. Uh, I'm exhausted. What else? What else? Now, I wanted to do a little music recommendation this week. Recommend maybe some music that you hadn't taken the time to listen to before. I want to talk about um, Art Garfunkel. Have you considered Art Garfunkel? Do you think a lot about Art Garfunkel? I think perhaps not. You know, you might think about Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, Many people have really terrific things to say about Simon and Garfunkel, which would mean his work with Paul Simon. But Art Garfunkel also had a solo career, albeit a, a brief one that went largely unnoticed. But I wanted to tell you about Art Garfunkel's 1975 album, Breakaway. If you're looking for a vinyl, it's really cheap. You can obtain this record very, very cheaply. Nobody wants this album. It's a classic Salvation Army buy. Uh, personally, I have multiple copies of it. I have vinyl and a track. Because I mean, it really struck my eye because it's got a, a terrifically depressing album cover. It's Art Garfunkel looking awkward and out of place in maybe a, a bar surrounded by women that you could only really describe as floozies. You know, they're like smoking cigarettes and it looks like they're having a conversation that Art Garfunkel has no place in. Maybe that's how it felt to be Art Garfunkel. I don't know. But here's the thing. Contrary to what you might think or or what apparently the music buying population might have thought, this album deserves for you to listen to it. It's worth your time. For one thing, it has uh, My Little Town on it which is a song that, even though they broke up in 1970, Simon and Garfunkel briefly reunited in 1975 to record. It actually, the same recording of it appears on both this album, Break Away, from our Garfunkel, as well as Paul Simon's Still Crazy After All These Years, also released in 1975. In my little town I grew up believing God keeps his eye on us all And he used to lean upon me As I pledged allegiance to the wall Lord, I recall my little town Coming home after school Flying my bike past the gates of the factory But to really delve into Garfunkel's breakaway, I think we need to talk a little bit about Art Garfunkel. Art Garfunkel is a strange person. 
I think that goes without saying. As a member of Simon and Garfunkel, you know, they were already freaks. Just look at any of their album covers. You know, maybe it looked different in the 60s, but I, I, I look at their album covers and I say, that's a pair of freaks. And I have all these albums, mind you. I, I like Simon and Garfunkel a lot. I always have. They wrote some... Well, that actually is wrong. They did not write some delightful songs. Paul Simon wrote some terrific songs. Garfunkel was kind of just along for the ride. You know, he was as out of place in Simon and Garfunkel, perhaps, as he is in that uh, bizarre album cover for Breakaway. Now, he's a very talented singer. That, uh, that can't be denied. I think he certainly earned his keep in Simon and Garfunkel, but uh, Simon did write all those songs at a time in history when the being the singer-slash-songwriter seemed like it was perhaps um, of paramount importance. When Paul Simon sings I Am A Rock, you know, I think you're supposed to think that that song is about what it's like to be Paul Simon. So yeah, Garfunkel kind of tagged along for most of the 60s, and then they split up or decide to take a break in 1970. That's sort of the end of their pairing. And Simon keeps on making music. He does some of the best work of his career. In the early 70s, he releases two platinum albums, including the unforgettably titled There Goes Rhyme and Simon. During these years, he has a string of hits. There's Mother and Child Union, Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard, Kodachrome. It's a wonder I can think at all. Love Me Like a Rock. This is perhaps the best period of his solo career, though, obviously. He kept doing some great work into the 1980s. You Can Call Me Al has some definitely devoted fans. What does Garfunkel do after that 1970 breakup? Now, like I said, he was not the creative force behind Simon and Garfunkel in, in any real sense. He didn't write those songs. But inarguably, he is a huge star at this time. In the music economy of 1970, there's definitely a real solo career just waiting for him. But he doesn't rush into it. He does a little show business still. He appears in two Mike Nichols films, Catch-22 and Carnal Knowledge. But mostly, he's being a weirdo. He's doing weird stuff. He tutors mathematics. Uh, he teaches geometry to high school students in Connecticut. In 1972, he briefly reunites with Paul Simon for a benefit concert for uh, then-candidate George McGovern. And, of course, Richard Nixon goes on to win 49 U.S. states. So, presumably, the concert did not work. And then he goes back to music, and he, he starts to put out a few albums. He comes out with something in 1973 called Angel Claire, and it's bad. You don't want to listen to that one. But context is really everything. In the context of his breakup with Paul Simon, and Simon's immediate parade of hits thereafter, the album Breakaway might look pretty weak. But imagine if Art Garfunkel was just a guy who you had never heard of. Some random math teacher from New York who put this album out. Uh, this album of what I would say, honestly, is yacht rock. This is, this is some smooth rock we're talking about. 
but in 1975, I would rate this album as perfectly good. Even if you subtract My Little Town, because it's him and Paul Simon, and it's really a Paul Simon song, I still think Breakaway is a perfectly good album. Now, My Little Town was a hit. It went all the way to number nine on the Billboard Hot 100 and number one on the Adult Contemporary chart, which is a terrible chart. Uh, Adult Contemporary chart is a chart that I think exists because like my my mom finished college and got a full time job and the chart exists for people like her to to measure the amount of albums people like her were still buying. Actually, overall, in their solo careers, Garfunkel outperformed Paul Simon on the adult contemporary chart. He went to number one four times, as opposed to Simon's mere two. But there's really some good stuff on Breakaway. He does a very nice little version of the 1934, oh, that's a classic, song, I Only Have Eyes For You. And that's not all. And like I said, you know, Garfunkel did not write any of these songs. There's a continuing tension in popular music between artists who write and perform the songs, like Simon or Bob Dylan or whoever, and those who merely perform the music, like Elvis or Linda Ronstadt or Frank Sinatra. The implication is always that artists in this latter category are not bona fide artists the way singer-songwriters are. But if you've really investigated pure singers and you've heard their renditions of songs as compared to other people's, even in some cases the people who wrote the songs, you know that singers really bring something unique to what they perform. They bring what is undoubtedly an artistry to it that makes it their own. Now, also on this album, he does the song Breakaway. And like I said, he didn't write it. This is a song that was actually written by Benny Gallagher and Graham Lyle. But when you listen to the song, I think that I like to think that you're really you're hearing how Garfunkel feels. He wants to break away. Break away from everything he's known in the past, his Simon and Garfunkel career, and whatever. Also, this song features backing vocals by David Crosby and Graham Nash. Peaked at number 39 on the Billboard Hot 100. Although it went all the way to number one on the easy listening chart for one week. Ugh. But it's a good song. Elsewhere, on the Canadian adult contemporary chart, Breakaway only reached number two. And what blocked it from the number one position? Paul Simon's 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. That couldn't have felt good. Garfunkel also covers the Beach Boys song, Disney Girls, on this album. Which is a terrible Beach Boys song. You know, it's really the Beach Boys at their worst. 
and Garfunkel does not do anything interesting with it here. It remains a bad song. If anyone has ever done a good version of this song, uh, this podcaster hasn't heard it. Now, unfortunately, after this album, it was pretty downhill for Garfunkel. He did not make another album worth your attention, as far as I'm concerned. I would mention 1979's Fate for Breakfast just because of that ridiculous title. Uh, Listen to it at your peril. That same year, his longtime girlfriend, the actress Lori Bird, committed suicide by taking an overdose of Valium in their apartment, which left Garfunkel deeply depressed for much of the 1980s. His creative output for the remainder of his career really never got interesting again at least in my years. He occasionally reunited with Paul Simon to remind us all how much we enjoyed them as a duo, and then apparently they remember what they hate about each other and it fizzles out. I think it's apparent now that for Paul Simon, performing with Garfunkel is a distant second to performing with the Muppets. Hey, Gonzo, come on in. Thank you. Can I tell you something? Sure. You are my favorite Muppet. Wow, thank you, Paul. But it's not all bad. He did fall in love and get married in 1988. He still sings and performs. He's on TV sometimes. He's got some kids. And he's still totally weird. Garfunkel has undertaken several long walks in his lifetime, writing poetry along the way. In the early 1980s, he walked across Japan in a matter of weeks. From 1983 to 1997, Garfunkel walked across the United States, taking 40 excursions to complete the route from New York City to the Pacific coast of Washington. In May of 1998, Garfunkel launched an installment walk across Europe from a start in Ireland to his final stop in Istanbul in 2015. How do I know all this? Uh, You can read all about it on artgarfunkel.com. And artgarfunkel.com looks terrible. I don't mind saying brianmccauley.com looks better than it. It looks like it was programmed by the actual Brian McCauley in like 1997. But you can read all about his long walks and and plenty of other Garfunkel trivia over there. Check it out if you'd like to. And that is our show for this week. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, You can always send us an email, catsounds at brianmccauley.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Or, of course, like I'm saying, give us a call on the 24-hour Cat Sounds voicemail hotline. That number is 949-484-9724. Give us a call. I'll play your message on the show. Our music this week was The Birth of Chirality from Hexagonal Awareness. Check them out on YouTube if you love hexagons as much as I do. <laughs> 